All right, before we get going, let me just uh, remind you again, I know uh, Brother uh, Hamilton already told you about the uh, DVDs and uh, tent, media, tent meeting media order form and all that, but uh, I do want to encourage you. I got thinking about that, and I thought about those DVD sets, and there's 12 messages for $25. That means they're, they're just a hair, just a smidgen over $2 a piece for each message. You can't beat that on DVD. That's really excellent. And so for just about two bucks a piece, you can get uh, each of those messages, and you can't beat that. You can hardly get a CD of it for that cheap. Matter of fact, we charge, I think, $3 for our CDs normally. It's just a special offer here. Then if you buy the, 10, uh, uh, the set of 10 messages that are on, uh, or 12 messages that are on the uh, MP3 format, you're getting those for less than a dollar a piece. Can't beat that. So uh, I don't know. That's that's a pretty good deal. I can't even take my wife to McDonald's for less than ten bucks, and uh, you get twelve messages, or take her out one time. Forget it. We're getting the messages. So anyway, so anyway, they come in a great, beautiful package, all color. It, this one's black and white, but the one you're getting is going to be color, beautiful. Uh, each of the discs is uh, labeled beautifully. It's just a nice set. It's going to look great. You'll be proud to have it as well as uh, to display it as well as listen to it on a regular basis. Uh, seven messages from Dr. Hamblin, uh, five messages from some other folks, and uh, we certainly want you to take, take opportunity uh, to get that. All right, well, take your Bible, turn over to the book of Luke, chapter 18. Again, it's good to have you here. Great to see each and every one of you. A beautiful day again today. Another gorgeous day in God's economy, and we're grateful for that. I just got off the phone. I was running a little late. I was talking to Sandy Alexander, and she's having a rough time. I don't know if they told you anything about her, but she's not doing well at all. Um, she's uh, been going through cancer treatment, struggling with some other issues, but doesn't feel she has much longer, and just talking to her for a few minutes, and uh, just uh, needs your prayers. Her and Bill both. Uh, Bill, of course, she's always worried about her brother. She calls him little brother, and uh, she's worried about him if she goes on, so... You'd be praying for them. And uh, she just told me, just tonight, she just said, uh, she said, uh, Preacher, I just thank God for the day that that flyer come across our yard. She goes, that was the best day of my life. Maybe that's a little sensational, but, but, you know, from her perspective right now, she looks eternity in the face. Uh, And it makes a difference when you're looking eternity in the face, mind you. It makes a big difference. She said, that's the best day of my life. I, I, I'm so glad I, I love that church. I love that ministry. And uh, we'll see. But God's got some things planned. And she's uh, working toward an end. And may not be long for We're not sure yet. We'll see how things turn out. But you be praying for Sandy and Bill because they're, they're having some difficult times. All right. Well, we uh, began a, a lesson or a message on, uh, it was basically a series that we had started, Growing in the Christian Life. And we arrived at learning to pray. Isn't that interesting? We've been talking a lot about prayer, it seems like, lately to me. But uh, it just happens to be the message or lesson that we left off on, and we had only gotten through the first point. Um, We talk about prayer. It is the greater work of the Christian. And again, uh, our evangelist uh, over this past week touched on it, especially on Thursday night, we know. It was a a big night on that as he talked about the the three... uh, was it the, the napkin? God wipes away our tears uh, three different times. He wipes our tears away with a napkin of heaven or something. And uh, you can get that message, and then you'll actually get the real title. But uh, 
nonetheless, he, he talk, we talked a lot about, we've been talking a lot about prayer. And so uh, we started talking about chapter 18, verses 1 through 43. And uh, we see a couple people praying in this chapter. We see a praying widow. We see a praying Pharisee, a praying publican, a praying ruler. We see, even see a praying beggar. And uh, we talked about the, the question, why should we pray? That's what we addressed the first time we got together on this subject. And we noted three reasons. We noted that we owe it to ourselves to pray. Obviously, uh, you know, as believers, we have a number of needs. And so prayer is a way that we get God's ear. And, and since we have God's ear, we certainly want him to hear us and then answer our prayers. And so we owe it to ourselves in that regard. And uh, then we said we owe it to others. And since we do have God's ear, uh, we can make an impact and we can make a difference in the lives of others. And so we owe it to them to pray for them. I mean, if you had some kind of medicine or something that would heal their body or make an impact in their life or would restore their marriage or fix their home, uh, don't you think it'd be rather selfish not to administer that uh, elixir or that prescription? I mean, it would be downright selfish. Well, we're believers and we have the ear of God. How in the world can we not pray for others when we have the answer and the solution? God. He alone can meet the need in their life, even as He alone meets the need in your life and in mine. And so it would be rather selfish not to pray on behalf of others. And then we said that uh, not only do we owe it to ourselves and to others, but we owe it to our Lord. Again, when God created Adam, He placed him in the Garden of Eden, and He did that with a purpose and for a reason. He did that because He desired fellowship with Adam. He desired fellowship with His creation. Again, it would be rather selfish to say to God, who not only created us, but then died for us and saved our soul, I'm sorry, but I really don't feel like praying. We owe it to God to pray. Not only He commands it, but that communion and that fellowship that we can have with God is a tremendous blessing and help to us, but it also pleases Him. And tonight we continue our study. We said, why should we pray? Well, tonight we're going to begin by saying, when should we pray? When should we pray? The disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. They said, teach us to pray. And tonight, I believe, you know, if we would poll Christianity in a general format, we would find that people believe they know how to pray. And I would say that in most cases, we do know how to pray. I would say that we have the very basics down. We understand that it's not our posture, but it's our person. It's not just our position, but it's our, our, our place with God. We understand that we need to, to, to bow our not just our knee, but really bow our heart to the Lord Jesus Christ and that prayer's asking and we need simply to speak to God and have fellowship with God. We understand all of those things. However, it seems to me that we really spend very little time doing it. And so when we arrive here, when should we pray? It would seem a very simple question. It would seem almost as if every one of us would have the answer. It would seem that we would not have any need nor reason to even cover that issue. But may I say today that if we have a hundred Christians in this room, I would venture to say we haven't prayed 100 hours yet this week combined. And all I'm saying is we better figure out when we should pray. 
So let's not just shut off the preacher and let's not just go into our own little world. Let's not think about the program that will be on when we get home or about the food we're going to eat or all of those things. Let's really ask ourselves, when should I pray? And maybe, just maybe, uh, we'll have something for you tonight and the Holy Spirit will speak to our hearts. I need it. You need it. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. We thank you for this time together. We're asking you, Lord, to speak to our heart. We, Father, certainly want to be different and change for having come. Lord, what a waste of time it would be to gather here today and not leave, having heard your word and receiving it and applying it to our life. Lord, it's easy to hear the word of God from a worldly standpoint. The world says to hear is just simply to take it in with our ears. But when you say hear in the word of God, it has to do with application. And Lord, we want to apply these truths and we want to be better for having come and better for having heard. Father, use these different situations and this opportunity that we have now to, Father, be a blessing to you and to others. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. When should we pray then? Number one, at regular times. Again, this is point two, so it would be A, actually, if you had an outline. But it's at regular times. At regular times. In the book of Psalm, chapter 55, the psalmist says, Evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. Evening and morning and at noon. Well, that's pretty simple. That sounds like three times a day. He says, I'm going to schedule prayer. Now, listen, I I don't know about you, but biblically and scripturally, it seems to me that God intended that we schedule some prayer time. Now, again, I know that you can say, well, I just pray when I, I feel led. I just pray when I get the urge. I just pray when I know that. But unfortunately, if we could pull America and get the honest answer from believers, we'd find that we're not praying very much at all, if at all. And all I'm saying is, if you don't plan it, it probably won't get done. In the morning. In the evening. And then over here at noon. I mean, I'm talking about he made some plans and he put it on the calendar and he made sure that the clock rang and his alarm went off at certain times in the day. And he said, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray evening, morning and at noon. Not only that, but he says, I'll pray and cry aloud. He shall hear my voice. I believe he found a place to get away. And that's hard to do in our culture and our society. And it's difficult to guard those times. And maybe you won't be able to get away at work in a place where you can literally lift up your voice and be heard loudly. But let me say you need to find a place where you can lift up your voice and still be heard by God. And boy, I'll tell you what, we need to set some times and schedule some times. Daniel also said in chapter 6, verse 10, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed, and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. The successful Christian life is one of discipline. And that is why we are failing today. We are not disciplined. This is the most undisciplined society in the last hundred years. At least hundred years. At least in America. We have to discipline ourselves if we are going to pray. Effectively pray. Let me give you some choices. Now think these things through, all right? What would you rather eat? 
A hamburger or a hot dog? Don't yell out. Some of you are pretty passionate, I know. A hamburger or a hot dog? Make the choice. Come on now, quickly. A steak or a lobster? Not allowed. To yourselves quietly. Don't, I don't want you to influence the others. These are major decisions in life. How about a Mexican dinner or a Chinese dinner? I'm going to El Recon. But anyway, <laughs> where would you rather go? Where would you rather go? The flea market or the grocery store? Cedar Point or the county fair? Hawaii or the Bahamas? Do you know what you're doing? You're making choices. You just made choices. Do you know what? The bottom line is, is that every day in our life we make some choices. And you know what? we got to choose to pray. It doesn't just happen. you got to make some choices. Just like you decide whether it's steak or lobster, you got to ask yourself, will it be television or Bible? Will it be television or prayer? Will it be spending time outside in the yard? Or will it be praying on my knees? You need to make some decisions. None of those things are wrong inherently in and of themselves. But let me say this. You must make the conscious decisions and discipline yourself if you're truly going to be effective in prayer. That's all there is to it. We act like it just happens. It doesn't. You have to make a choice. You have to consciously choose to pray. Not only do you, do you uh, need to pray at regular times, but when should we pray? When the Holy Ghost urges us. When the Holy Spirit moves and when we feel the compelling pressure or the compelling conviction of the Holy Spirit to pray. I mean, have you ever felt compelled to pray? I mean, have you ever been just somewhere and, and all of a sudden you just feel like, man, I need to pray. I, just, I feel like hitting my knees right now. You ever felt that way? Well, then you ought to then. You ought to get away and find a place to pray. You ought to just find a place to pray. Maybe it's around the corner. Maybe it's over in another room. Maybe it's uh, in the bathroom where, where Brother uh, Hamblin tries to get away before services. I don't know, but you need to find a place to pray if you're compelled to do so. In Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and 27, the Bible says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. The Spirit of God takes our prayers right up to the throne of grace. Let me tell you, He's quite capable and able to compel us to pray. And we need to pray. And when He does compel us to pray, He urges us to pray. We need to pray. Not only that, but when else? Uh, when are we to pray? When cares and troubles press upon us. You ever have any cares? You have any problems or troubles? Of course you do. Let me ask you, why is it we don't pray more? We have all these problems, supposedly, but we don't pray. Why wouldn't we pray if we have all these troubles and all these trials and all these, these cares in our life? Why is it that we spend more time talking to our neighbor or talking to our friends or, or being involved in other aspects of life and social networking and everything else, but we fail to spend time with God when all these cares weigh heavy on our heart? Could it be a dependent issue? We're not really dependent, maybe. Maybe we really don't need Him as much as we act like we do. 
You know, we go around church talking to people, oh, I love Jesus Christ, he's the best, he's wonderful. Really? How often do you talk to him? Well, I'm, I'm, I, I, I want to, I'm just real busy. Well, maybe we go back to those choices. What, you got some burdens? Yeah, let me tell you about them. Be on the phone for an hour with them. You know what I'm thinking? I wonder how long you talk to God about it. I'm not saying that I don't mind, I don't mind talking about problems. I, I deal with that. That's what I do. As a preacher, I deal with a lot of problems. But I often think to myself sometimes, I wonder, before you called me and shared your problems with me, I wonder if you spent any time sharing them with Jesus. I'm just wondering. You know what I found? If I can find one person that cares enough to listen to me, I rarely have to share it with anybody else. It just seems like today we're sharing our problems with everybody but the one that we need. Now again, I can't say that for you. I'm just saying it seems in general today that all you have to do is listen and open your ears and eyes and all you see are people that are struggling and hurting and need help and it seems they talk to everybody. Do you hear about, yeah, I've heard. Did you hear about, yeah, I heard. Did you hear about, yeah, I heard. Jesus, did you hear? Haven't heard yet, huh? Let me tell you what's going on. Isn't that sad if I got to go to God and tell him what's wrong with your life? Deal with your problem? Try to intercede on your behalf? And yet the Lord hasn't even heard from you? Or he heard maybe just, Lord, you need to help me. I need you. Let me call my friend. You, you know what I'm saying. I'm not trying to be mean or nasty. I'm just saying we need to make some decisions and choice. When you've got cares and troubles pressing upon you, well, you need to get a hold of God. Tragedy, somebody calls on the phone and you hear a tragic situation in your life, whether it's a family, a friend, a loved one. What's the first thing that you feel like doing? Calling someone? Or do you say, I've got to pray. I have got to get a hold of God. I've gotten those calls. You've gotten them too. They're the worst calls in the world. Your heart sinks to your stomach. You feel like throwing up. I don't care if I'm with a million people. The first thing I want to do is talk to him. I wonder, who'd you talk to? Boy, we could panic. We can lose our heads. We can fall to pieces or we can just get in his presence for a minute and say, God, God, what am I going to do? Well, I tell you, there's nothing like getting in his presence immediately. Sure, the calls have to be made and absolutely we've got to talk to people and get some help. And, but wait a second, who's first on the list? In the military, we used to have these, call, these lists. Uh, if, a, uh, um, like if a war situation broke out, you had these this call list, you know, you, you, you as a, uh, a colonel had to then call your commanders and your commanders then turned around and called their, their uh, platoon leaders and their platoon leaders then turned around, called their squad leaders and their squad leaders then turned around and called all their guys. When, when something goes down in your life, who do you call first? Psalm 50, verse 15 says, And call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. You know why God wants you to call him first? Because he wants to get the credit for bailing you out. 
Man, if I contact the, the, the hospital first and say, Doc, what are we going to do? And the doc says, here's what we're going to do. And sooner or later, if I'm not careful, I give the doc the praise. And people say, well, man, he got in the hospital and doc fixed his life. Doc fixed his body. The doc did a miracle in his life almost, it seems. So then Jesus either loses out or he has to share the glory. And God don't want to share the glory. God wants all the glory. And he says, you come to me first. He says, listen, and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. I may not need to use a doctor, and I may not need to use some kind of paramedic. I may fix you. I may heal you. I may meet your needs supernaturally, and I'll get all the glory. Acts 16.25, it says, And at midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. They prayed aloud, it sounds like. Saying praises aloud. Psalm 57, 1. I love this verse. Be merciful unto me, O God. Be merciful unto me. For my soul trusteth in thee. Yea, in the, shadow of the, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. And I'm going to get in the shadow of your wings until these calamities be overpassed. When do we need to pray? When should we pray? At regular times, when the Holy Spirit urges us, when cares and troubles press upon us. Then also at times of special need. In Acts chapter 12, verse 5, Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. You know, there are sometimes there's just some special needs. There are things that just kind of pop up. There's issues that need to be addressed. There's things that we just didn't count on. Special needs. Unique issues. Well, those are times we need to pray again. And then we need to pray when we can. When do we pray? When we can, we should pray with others. So when, when should I pray? Preacher? Well, when you, when, when you can, you should pray with others. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 19 through 20, the Bible says, Again I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Man, you get somebody that's going through a tough time, you get somebody that's struggling, then you need to pray with them. I mean, I cannot even tell you the difference... That prayer makes in the midst of a dying person. You know, sometimes we're afraid. You know, we go into a room and someone's dying. And the first thing we think to ourselves is, man, we, we don't want to, like, be morbid. We don't want to emphasize death right now. I mean, we're trying not to... Oof. And you know what? I, I understand those feelings. But let me tell you something. That one laying on that bed right there will appreciate prayer more than you will ever know. It is amazing what prayer does for someone that's dying. I mean amazing. I go into the hospice centers. I go into hospitals. I go into the, the ER. I go over to the, to the, 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 the ICU. I, I pray with people in their homes that are dying. And I, I'll pray things and I'll say, God, you know, you've promised us heaven. And you've guaranteed us a home. And Lord, we know that Father so-and-so is close to that day. Lord, be gentle with them. Take care of them. Wrap your loving arms about them. And lead them through the valley of the shadow of death. And deliver them. 
And you say, well, you can't be that bold. Wait a second, why not? Let me tell you, it brings such great comfort and peace to someone that's going to cross over Jordan. And sometimes if we're not careful, we miss those opportunities to share with people that are genuinely in need. Not only folks that are dying, but take someone that's in the hospital preparing for a surgery. I don't care if you've got, you're a pastor or not. If you're there with them and you're going to, you're meeting with them. And I know some of you do a great job of this. I'll, I'll go to hospitals from time to time and see some of you there with, with that person that's here at the church or with a family member or friend. And let me tell you something. You don't always have to wait for the pastor to pray. You can pray. Oh yeah, when he gets there, he's going to pray. And if he doesn't, there's something wrong. But let me say this, you're a child of God, you're a saint of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have access to the throne of grace, and the Lord Jesus Christ lives in you, and God the Father's hearing your voice. You need to pray, and it'll bring tremendous comfort to those in need. When you can, you should pray with others. You visit the hospital, and somebody's in there just recovering from a surgery, pray. Man, they're visibly shaken. Someone calls you on the phone and they're upset and they're emotionally distraught and they're broken in their spirit. Why not say, let's pray? Amazing what it'll do. It's amazing. Prayer is an amazing tool in our toolbox of spiritual gifts. What a blessing it is to pray. So when, do we, uh, when, when should we pray? At regular times, when the Holy Spirit urges us, when cares and troubles press upon us, uh, at, at all times of special need, when we can, we should pray with others. Let's deal with the last aspect of this thing. How should we pray? How should we pray? There are three illustrations in this chapter that I want to look at because I believe they show us how we ought to pray. First of all, I like the publican. Look, if you will, in chapter 18, verse 9. Luke chapter 18, verse 9. Let's begin reading there and just read through this very quickly. Chapter 9, uh, chapter 18, verse 9, excuse me. I think we miss opportunities. I have got to admit, I have to be very transparent. I think I have missed opportunities to pray with my children. Through the years. I've missed opportunities to pray with my wife through the years. There have been times I have, don't misunderstand me, but I think there have been other opportunities that I could have taken to elevate prayer in the minds and the eyes of my family. Sometimes I, I don't think it's because I'm embarrassed to pray. I think sometimes I feel like, well, the, you know, that's, this isn't the time to pray because, well, you know, this is family issue or this is a personal problem or this is a situation that needs to be you know normally dealt with uh, that's not church time it's is there ever any time it's not good for prayer and I think it's wonderful when something's going on in the lives of our children and they're distraught and they're upset and we say let's pray that's wonderful you say well that, 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 that may not work what if God doesn't answer the prayer what if he doesn't meet the need well that's God's business I'm not responsible for God's response. I'm only obedient to do what God commands, and I need to share with my children the same tools that I have through my life found to be not only successful, but a blessing. Man, prayer's a powerful tool. 
There are times in my life when I walk into my office or I go to my bedroom or I find a place in my house and I can do nothing but fall on my face and just cry out to God. My heart breaks and the burden so great in my life. What if I did not have prayer? What if they don't learn to pray? They'll not have it. Well, we need to teach them. Disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. Who will teach your children? Like the public in chapter 18, verse 9 through 14, how should we pray? Notice chapter 18, verse 9. And he spake this parable unto, uh, unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Wow, there's a mouthful. Boy, can we read that again? Listen to this closely. He spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. That is as close to the unpardonable sin in my estimation, and again, that is a personal opinion, that is as close to the unpardonable sin that I can even imagine right there. I, I, I despise that myself. Jesus obviously didn't. Notice what he said again. I think we just need to spend a moment and really wrap our minds around this thought. He spoke this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous. He didn't say trusted in themselves to provide for their income, trusted in themselves to take care of their family, trusted in themselves to somehow uh, meet the need of their home. No, he said trusted in themselves that they were righteous. That somehow they were doing so much for God, somehow they were so good in the service of Jesus Christ, that they felt that they were better than other people. Well, I dress a certain way, and I do certain things, and I don't go those places, and I don't listen to that stuff, and I don't talk like that, therefore, I'm alright, I'm good, I'm righteous. And they despise others, though. It's not enough that they feel righteous or that they elevate themselves because of their actions and their, their supposed attitudes and their outlook. No, they, they look at others and say, oh, look at you and uh, uh, God help him, God help her. What's wrong with that? Everything. Well, I'm sure glad we're not like that family. I'm sure glad. Yeah, right. You're really going to be a blessing to whomever you're trying to minister to with that spirit. Well, let's see. we got a parable for you, if that's you tonight. Let's go ahead and read through it. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a publican and the other, uh, excuse me, a Pharisee and the other a publican. Again, we understand that Pharisees were religious leaders. We know that publicans were basically the... Jewish tax collectors on behalf of the Roman government. Therefore, they collected taxes from their fellow citizens or from their own brethren. They were Jews representing Rome, collecting taxes from their Jewish brothers. They were often, often thieves. And that was their reputation, and that's what's being implied here. Notice once again, he goes on to say, two men went up into the temple to pray, verse 10, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, 
I thank thee. That I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. Now again, you've got to picture this for a minute. Cody, come on up here. I mean, you've got to really map your mind around what's taking place. We know this is a parable, so therefore it's not really legitimately two different men that lived. It's not a historical event that took place. But it is something that the Lord Jesus is using to try to help illustrate this very important principle. Now here we have the publican, and here we have the Pharisee. The religious leader and the publican, the, I guess, uh, Roman servant. Now watch what he says. He says here, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are. Extortioners. He's looking right at him now. Unjust, adulterers, even as this publican. He's looking right at him. He's praying to God, but his eyes are on man. He's praying to God, but his eyes are on man. Now last I checked, you don't pray to God while you look at man. So he's really not praying at all. He thinks he is because he's so self-righteous. Oh, I'm looking at him. Oh God, I thank you that I'm not like this publican. That I'm looking at while I'm praying to you. And that's something. Hold on. You ever been there? Be honest. Don't lie. Liars will have their part in the lake of fire. Listen to me. Righteous self-righteousness is a cancer that destroys God's purpose for the church. It destroys it. There's no cancer in the church worse than self-righteousness. Ignorance, we can deal with. Foolishness, deal with. Gossip even, no problem. Self-righteousness kills us every time. You know what they are? They're the ones when he comes to church for the first, second time says, Brother, you know something? You need to wear a tie. I know you've been here for at least three services. You should know better. You see my tie? You should be wearing one. Don't you realize that you can't possibly worship Jesus the way you should without that? Oh, really? You know how it is, ladies. She's been here at least a month. And you take it on yourself to tell her what the dress standards are, even though I haven't said a word about it. Self-righteousness. Oh God, let me help this poor, unlearned person that I'm looking at while I'm praying to you. And she hears this and says, what? You mean I can't come here unless I dress like you? I don't even own those. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm telling you self-righteousness manifests itself in something that simple. Oh, the pastor says, oh boy, we're getting into some serious bad ground right there. Thanks, Cody. 
Republican. <laughs> we just got to be careful. Be careful. He goes on to say here, and I love it. I love this. This is so great. I fast twice in a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Can I tell you that's admirable? That's wonderful. Well, too bad more Christians don't fast twice a week. Too bad Christians don't obey God in tithe like they're commanded, demanded, and required by God. Instead, we literally stick a gun to God's head and rob him. We stick a gun to God's head and rob him. We stick a gun to God's head and rob him. Last time I checked, you robbed somebody, you do it by force. You don't do it in the, under the cloak of darkness. That's what a thief does. That's not what a robber does. Go ahead and stick a knife to God's throat and say, give me their money. Give me your money, God. Oh, thank you, preacher. We appreciate that. Appreciate that. But nonetheless, nonetheless, he continues to say, and the publican, standing afar off, here he is now. Cody, stand up once again. He's afar off now. Right there's good. Would not lift up so much as eyes unto heaven. Keep your head down. He, but smote upon his breast. Go like this, go. Because <laughs> he's smoting on his breast. Keep going, keep going. Say, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Say that real loud. No, you got to smote on your chest. You can't. Be merciful to me, a sinner. Louder. One more time, really loud. Full. Wow. There he is. Thank you, Cody. Head down. Smote. Just beating on his chest. Oh, God! When's the last time you felt like that in God's presence? Now listen to me. I've only been there. I'm going to be honest with you. We're, we're talking about brokenness here. I, I've told you a story. I remember going to a Sword of the Lord conference one time. I felt so smoked by the Holy Spirit of God. I felt so wicked and sinful. I, smelled like, I felt like an open sore in the sight of God. I felt so low, I didn't think I'd ever get up. You ever felt low like that? Man, I mean... We've got to pray like the publican does. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. Our confidence needs to be in Christ, not in self. Our confidence needs to be in the Lord. We need to come to God broken. David's been confronted by Nathan the prophet concerning his sin with Bathsheba. His heart's broken, and he considers how much, as he thinks about how much his sin disappointed and let God down. I mean, David was upset that, that, that he had done what he did, but it wasn't as much about, it wasn't as much about getting caught, and it wasn't as much about disappointing his, his, his family, although it didn't. It wasn't just about how it hurt the kingdom, and it did, but it really bothered him that he had broken God's trust, that he had disappointed his Lord. See, you know you're growing in the Christian life when Fearing God 
changes from being afraid of being punished to being afraid of disappointing. That's the difference with spiritual Christians. A spiritual Christian is brokenhearted because he disappointed or let his father down. It breaks his heart that he broke God's heart. He fears breaking God's heart. That's when you know you're starting to grow in your Christian life. When it's not a matter of walking through going, oh, God's got a stick up there. If I don't step right, if I don't do what he says, if I don't, if I don't follow the rules, I'll get a big stick over the head. He'll beat me like, like, like a bad boy. Oh, I don't want to be a bad boy. No, eventually stop worrying about the stick. You start worrying about your Savior. That's where growth, that's when you start maturing. If you still worry about getting spanked by God continually, if you step out of line, may I be so bold to say that you need to really consider where you're at spiritually? You might not be as spiritually mature as you think. If your heart is not going to break, if you're not more concerned about breaking his heart than you are about him breaking his rod on you, then just maybe you're not as spiritual as you think. I don't even have to say just maybe. I know that for a fact. Biblically and scripturally, it it works out. Come to God broken. Number two, come to God burdened. And the publican came burdened. In James 5, 16, he says, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Psalm 57, 2 says, I'll pray unto God most high, unto God that performeth all things for me. You need to come broken. You need to come burdened. But then not only do you want to come to the Lord like the publican, but you want to come like the unwavering widow. We're almost done. The unwavering widow. We run through these very quickly. Many of us get very discouraged when prayer is answered immediately. It's, it's, it's pretty natural. It's something we have to fight in our flesh. We pray to God. We think after a few days, God should answer. We think after a few weeks, God should answer. We think surely after a few months, God should answer. And sometimes if we're not careful, we are tempted to even indict God for not answering immediately. In this particular passage, we have a very bad man. He's called the unjust judge. That means that he doesn't judge righteously. But this unjust judge, even though he does not judge righteously, ultimately answers this poor widow. He meets her need. How much more would a just God desire to meet the prayers or the needs of his own children? We often don't give God enough credit. So what do we need to do? We want to pray uh, like the unwavering widow. We need to come to God consistently. We've already talked about that three times a day. But even in the New Testament, the Bible goes a step further and says, pray without ceasing. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 7, pray without ceasing. We already noted that David himself says in Psalm 55, 17, evening and morning and noon will I pray and cry loud and he shall hear my voice. Charles Spurgeon tells this story about Thomas Beckett. As a matter of fact, it's really about Beckett's father. His father was a Saxon gentleman who went under the Crusades. And while he was fighting in the Crusades, he was taken prisoner by the Saracens. So while he was a prisoner among those Saracens, a Turkish young lady met him. 
And while she talked with him, she had an opportunity to get to know him slightly. She fell in love with him. Well, when he was released, ultimately, he was freed. He went back to England. She took the opportunity to escape as well from her father's house. She took a ship and came to England. But she didn't know where to find him. She had no idea where her love had gone. All she knew about him was his name. Gilbert. Gilbert. I know that name because I watch Anne of Green Gables. You know who Gilbert is. Gilbert Bly. Come on, some of you guys. Sit down and watch that with your wife. It'd make her very happy. I do it only because I want to make my wife and the young girls in my home happy. I don't have any, I don't like it at all, of course, but I watch it. I do love it, actually, but nonetheless, I can't lie or I'll get struck right here because we're talking about things. I've got to be careful. But anyway, his name was Gilbert. And so there she made her way to England and she loved Gilbert, but she knew nothing about him but his name. She arrives there in England and she is determined, I mean determined, to find him. So she makes this decision to go through all the streets of England, crying out the name of Gilbert till she finds him. She came to London first, and there she dressed, dressed in her eastern garments. Uh, even the street people were shocked as she wandered up and down the lanes and the abbeys and the streets, crying out the name, Gilbert! 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 Of course, it wasn't quite as low as my voice. And so she passed from town to town, till one day as she pronounced the name, the ear for which she intended it to be caught, heard it. They were united. Gilbert heard the cry of this Turkish lady that they had fallen in love with him and he with her, and they lived together till they died. This woman's unwavering cry, undaunted by the thought that she would never find her Love, undaunted by the idea that she had to go through London and other cities there in England. There was no way it would, should ever happen. But she said, I will not, I will not quit crying his name until I find him. That is exactly how you and I need to go before the throne of grace. Undaunted by what appears to be an overwhelming task. But simply pray and hope until we prevail in victory. Yes, we need to come to God consistently. We need to come to God confidently. Tonight, we need to come to God trusting like a child. Come to Him humbly. Come to Him honestly and come to Him hopefully. I mean, there's just prayer. The important element of prayer. What will you do with prayer? It really is the key to the successful Christian life. It really is. I'll close with this illustration, and, and we're going to ask Miss Smith to come, but while crossing the Atlantic on an ocean liner, F.B. Meyer was asked to address the first-class passengers. 
as the, at the, the captain's request, he spoke on answered prayer. An agnostic who was present at the service was asked by his friends, Hey, what did you think about Dr. Meyer's sermon? He answered, Well, I didn't believe a word of it. That afternoon, Meyer went to speak to the steerage passengers, and many of the listeners from the morning address went along as well, including that agnostic. He basically said, Well, it's not that I really want to listen to him again, but then again, I want to hear what that babbler has to say. Before starting for the service, the agnostic put two oranges in his pockets. And on his way, he passed this elderly woman that was sitting there on the deck in a a chair, fast asleep. I mean, her hands were just sitting there. She was kind of like laying this way. And so in a spirit of fun, the agnostic just took those two oranges out of his pocket and he placed them very gently in the hands of that elderly lady there on the deck with her hands on the arms of that chair facing upward. And after the meeting, he saw the old lady, and she was happy. She was just excited, and she was eating one of those, one of those oranges. And, and she, she, uh, she you, you seem to be enjoying that orange. <laughs> he kind of snickered inside and responded with a smile. And she said, oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. My father's very good to me. Your father? Surely your father can't still be alive. She said, oh, praise God, praise God, he's very much alive. The agnostic said, well, what do you mean? She said, well, I'll tell you, sir, I've been seasick for days. I was asking God somehow to send me an orange. I suppose I fell asleep while I was praying. When I awoke, I found he'd not only sent me one orange, but two. The story goes that he was speechless, obviously, and later on, during that cruise, he was converted to Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you, prayer, praying in God's will, is life-changing, performs miracles. I want to encourage you. Samuel Chadwick said, the one, the one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, and prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. God help us to make the devil tremble every day of our life. Father, we come to you. We thank you so much for just the opportunity that we have, Lord, to be your children. And then, Lord, to have...